And before I get started, I just want to say thank you all uh, for your love and, and support. I uh, definitely feel that from you all, appreciate that, and I know that uh, uh, there'll be plenty of diapers and, and wipes and stuff for us to open uh, downstairs, but I will not be here for that. Uh, we have a sick child at home, and so Samantha is home right now as I preach, and then we're going to tag team it, and I'm going to go home after this so she can be here for the shower. So I won't be here to thank you, but thank you in advance. So uh, it was fitting for the sake of my sermon, not for the sake of life, that Charlie, our, our daughter, was sick today. Uh, she started getting sick yesterday. And if you have children, if you're a parent, uh, if you've been around parents of sick children, you know that whenever kids are sick, they always want their mom. And so today, as Graham and I were here at church, and uh, as we took Jake, the new guy, out to lunch, and uh, when we get home, Samantha just told me, man, it feels like y'all been gone forever. And we had, you know, we'd been gone since Sunday school this morning, and then after lunch, all that, it was, it was a long time. And so Charlie, you know, not feeling well, she wasn't wanting to nap, she didn't, she didn't sleep well this afternoon, and she just wanted to be held. And so I tried to take over and, and do some of that for Samantha so she could get some things done. She's trying to plan for the kids' birthday parties coming up. And Charlie just wasn't satisfied with Dad. And she would, she would be okay for a little while. We'd watch some football, which I don't know why she wasn't feeling that. But, uh, you know, she'd be okay for a little while. But then she wanted to go back to Mama. And she always wanted to go back to Mama. And this tends to be true for all of our kids, especially for us. And, and I think part of it is because Samantha's such a good mom. She's such a, a loving mom, a caring mom, uh, that it's just natural that our kids want to, to go to her for comfort. Whenever they're hurt, whenever they're sick, whenever they don't feel well, whenever something is wrong, they just naturally go to mom. And perhaps all of us here tonight that have kids or have been there would agree that there's just something unique, there's something special about moms. And as I thought about that, and as, as I've been thinking about this passage in Job, Job here is, is at a, a point in his life where he's dealing with crisis. He's dealing with a lot of hardship in his life. And specifically, if we were to go back to chapter 1, which I'm not going to read it all, but I will fill you in on what's happening, Job has lost everything, virtually everything, his sheep, his camels, his children even, and even his own health has declined in, in a severe way. And so Job is, is mourning like crazy, mourning like we can't even imagine, perhaps. And he's got three friends, three friends that come to him, and the book of Job even tells us that their initial reason for coming to him was to be a comfort to him. And so as they are starting to comfort him, they start to think that Job had to have done something wrong for God to allow all these things to happen to him. And, and the book of Job is a great lesson for us to learn in that we learn from the book of Job that just because bad things may happen to us, it's not always because of a direct correlation between us sinning against God. And that's an important thing for us to understand. That's an important thing for us to know, is that we don't just have hardship in life because of sin in our own life. Now, that may be the case. We don't always want to say that that's not the case. But in Job's case, that's not the case. And the book of Job even says multiple times that in all of the things that happened to Job, he did not sin or charge God with any wrong. And so we know that Job is this upright man. He's, he's got good character, and he is, he is trusting in Jesus. He's not turning his back on Jesus. But yet his friends seem to think 
that he's been sinning, that there's got to be some sort of secret sin in his life that he's not revealing to them, and that is why all this hardship and all, this, uh, all of these pains have come upon him. So in the 15th chapter, right before our chapter tonight, Eliphaz accuses that Job does not fear God. So what you'll see as you read through the book of Job is that these accusations from his friends start getting more and more harsh. And they start saying, Job, seriously, dude, you had to have done something wrong that God is punishing you. They keep thinking this. They keep saying this, and Job is adamant. I did nothing wrong. I I promise you that I am in the right. But yet here we get to chapter 16. And as I was reading this earlier in the week, it just struck me how blunt Job was. And then it, it caused me to really contemplate and to examine my own life to look at how I am in this situation. So we'll pick up in Job chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall windy words have an end? Or what provokes you that you answer? I also could speak as you do if, if you were in my place. I could join words together against you and shake my head at you. I could strengthen you with my mouth and with the solace of my lips uh, and the solace of my lips would assuage your pain. So those are some strong words that we get from Job to his friends. And I titled this sermon, Don't Be a Miserable Comforter. Because in in this situation, Job's three friends that, remember, their initial intent was to come to him to be a comfort to him They turn out to be miserable comforters. Now, just like I was talking about Charlie and Samantha at the very beginning, we all know that there are people in our life that are naturally comforting to be around. Perhaps you can think of somebody right now that when when something difficult or something hard happens in your life, this is your go-to person. You know, no matter what it is, I can go to this person and I know that there's going to be a feeling of comfort. There's going to be love there. There's going to be care. Someone is going to listen to what I have to say. Somebody is going to to hug me and to to remind me that, that it's okay, that it's going to be okay. There is somebody in your life that you would probably think of when I explain that situation. But there's also the opposite. And that when you are dealing with, with a hard situation, there are probably people that come to your mind that you think, I do not want to see this person for as long as I can think. Because there are certain people that when we're dealing with hardship, they're not very comforting to be around. There's no real care or genuine concern on their behalf. Perhaps this is you know, someone who's just going to tell you, hey, nobody wants to hear your problems. Just suck it up and move on. Or perhaps this is the type of person that always likes to make light of everything and say, you know, oh, it's really not that bad. Just calm down. Get over it. You know, everything else is going to be fine. Perhaps we all can think of people like that as well. And Job here, we have to remind ourselves that Job is in the middle of grieving the loss of everything that he has. His own children, which I cannot imagine. And his friends keep pointing the finger at him saying, Job, what did you do? Why don't you just be honest with us? Why don't you tell us what you did wrong? And then Job responds and says, y'all are miserable comforters. Y'all aren't comforting me in one bit. 
And he says here in verse 4 and 5, these are, these are some of the best verses. He said, I also could speak as you do if you were in my place. He says, let's, let's reverse the roles. Let's think about this. Let's say that you are put in my position where you've lost all of your wealth, all of your possessions, and even your loved ones. He said, man, it would be easy for me to be the way you are, to look at you. He says, I could join words together against you, basically attacking you, saying that this is your fault, that you have done something wrong. He said, I could even shake my head at you. Like, what have you done? And as I was reading this, I was thinking about the, the times that, that perhaps I have been this way to other people. Perhaps times that I have been this way to my own wife. Perhaps times that I've been this way to my children. Perhaps you are thinking of times that you have been that way. Verse 5, he says... I could strengthen you with my mouth. And the solace of my lips would assuage your pain. Now this word assuage is not a common word that we use, but it just means to make it easier, to make it lighter. He says, there are really two options when you are, are, are coming to a friend like Job, who's in a, a position of hurt. He says, you can either be like you all who are being miserable comforters and you can sling accusations upon this person. You can point out all of their flaws, all the ways in which they have done wrong. Or you could use your mouth to strengthen them. You could use your words to encourage them and to build them up. And Job is basically saying, you all have chosen to not do the latter. You all have come here to comfort me. But as a matter of fact, you have been, turned out to be miserable Comforters. And so as I was reading this, as I was thinking about this passage, as I was thinking about Job, I was just very, very thoughtful about my own life and all the ways in which perhaps I have not been very comforting to people. And one of the things that I'm learning as I get older, and, and I know you all laugh when I say that because I'm only 33, but uh, I am learning things as I age, as we all do. And one of the things that I'm learning is that no matter what kind of vibe people put off, there's usually always something bothering them. There's usually always something that's hurting them on the inside. I have known families that um, have wanted to have children and have not been able to, but yet they're at that point in their marriage where everybody kind of just assumes like, hey, why aren't they having kids? When are you going to start? What are you waiting on? And we don't really think about it that much, but those types of questions, they really hurt. That's not really being a good comforter. But I think a lot of times we don't really think about us being in a position of being a comforter in those situations because we're not aware of everything that's going on in the background. And so I think in Job's situation, clearly he's going through a lot of hurt, a lot of anguish. And they're being really bad at comforting him. So that's one situation. If we know that people in our midst, people that we love, are going through hardship how are we at comforting them? But the other thing that I want us to consider is how are we comforting to those that we don't know are in the midst of hardship? And I think that's the thing that hit me the most. Because if you've known me for any amount of time, you probably know that I, I like to joke, I like to keep things lighthearted. And I think sometimes that can be to a fault where I take things a little too lighthearted. 
and I kind of joke with things that maybe you're trying to get across that, hey, you're hurting in a certain way. But I think we are all guilty of this if we, if we examine our hearts long enough. And this is the thing that, that really got me thinking throughout the week. And that's the reason that I wanted to preach this tonight is because I want us to be people as a church here in Fairdale, Kentucky, who are good comforters. Because just like Jake, I'll take him as an example. We share a name. I just met him today. I have no idea what is happening in Jake's world. I know that there are some things going on as far as he just moved to Louisville. He's getting ready to start college. A lot of things happening in his life. But there could be a lot of other things that are bothering him that are burdening him. How am I comforting to someone like that? Do we even consider those things? Because if we're honest, there's been a lot of weeks in the recent past where we've had visitors come and and be here on a Sunday morning. And as Jake said, thankfully we've done a good job with him, at least, at, at welcoming him and loving him. And hopefully many of us would say the same thing. But one of the things that we need to be thinking of, if we are going to be a strong Christian witness here in Fairdale, Kentucky, is how are we comforting to those people who come in that we have no idea what's happening in their lives? And this is the reason that I chose our call to worship as Isaiah 42. It says about Jesus that a bruised reed he will not break and that a smoldering wick he will not put out. You see, even Isaiah, who was prophesying about the the suffering servant, said that these things will be true about the Messiah. He is going to be one who who is gentle, who is caring, who will accept those who come to him. He will be gentle with them. If they are like a bruised reed, he will not break them. If they are like that smoldering wick, he will not put them out. He will not blow on them too hard to where the, the flame extinguishes. He knows exactly how to care and love for people. And that's what I want us to think about and consider tonight. How are we at caring for people and loving people? Do you consider all of the things that you say that they might come across either good or bad, that they could be hurtful rather than building up? See, I think we don't, we don't give a whole lot of thought to that, but I think we should. Because I think there are people in our midst each and every week that are hurting to the core and we may not realize it and we may say things without thinking that really do harm. So when Job here says to his friends, miserable comforters are you all. I don't want that to be us. I would hate for somebody to come into these doors and visit with us and to leave hurting more than when they came. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, what, how, how can we know how to be a better example? How can we know how to be more loving, how to be more caring? When I hope all, the, the answer is obvious to all of us, we need to look at Jesus, one who will not break a bruised reed and will not extinguish a, a smoldering wick. This is who Jesus is. We should look at his life, at his ministry, see the way he, he loves people, see the way he cares for people. So I want us to turn over to the book of John. Turn with me to John 11.
very popular story here in John 11. It's the death of Lazarus. But not just the death of Lazarus, also, also the resurrection of Lazarus. So I want us to look at some of these verses and, and to see the way that Jesus comforts and, and loves and cares for the sisters of Lazarus and see what we can learn from them. We'll pick up in verse 17. So Jesus, uh, Lazarus has already died at this point. Verse 17 says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. One thing I want us to notice from Jesus' interaction, uh, his interaction with Martha, is that Jesus tells her the truth. Jesus tells Martha the truth. Now, a lot of times, the truth may hurt, but Jesus ultimately knows that the truth is what we need. Now, I think all of us would say that there are times where the truth hurts. When someone gives us some honest feedback and it's not what we want to hear, hey, the truth hurts. But quite honestly, the truth is what we need to hear. And Jesus here, after Lazarus had died, Jesus reminds Martha of the truth. He says in verse 23, your brother will rise again. See, Jesus is reminding her that although death on earth feels like a final thing, like it, this is the end, he says it's not. For those who believe in Jesus, that is not finality. That is not the end of the story. That is not where things will be completed. And she, she seems to know this. She says in verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he lives. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? See, Jesus is reminding Martha of the truth. And that's what she needs to hear in this moment. Perhaps to us, it may sound like that's not the most caring and loving thing to say to her, who, who just lost her brother. But Jesus is reminding her of what's true. And I want to remind us tonight that that is what we need to do to care and to love people as well. And, and I think about that specifically in the context of our church as a whole, of being evangelistic. The most loving thing to do to our neighbors that are not believing in Jesus is to tell them about Jesus, is it not? See, the world is trying to tell us that we just need to be accepting, 
that we just need to let them believe whatever they believe and let them do whatever they want to do and, and to hope that someday, you know, all paths will lead to the same place. Yeah, but the Bible teaches us that that is not at all loving for us to do. It may feel loving in the moment, but in the grand scheme of things, at the end of time, that is not the loving thing to do. The loving thing to do is to remind them of the truth, and that's what Jesus does here with Martha. So then we get to verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said to them, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And here we have the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could, he not, have opened the, uh, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying. So now Mary comes. So Martha was, was the initial uh, interaction here where Jesus tells Martha the truth. He reminds her of what is, what is the reality of the situation. And now Mary comes, and we see that Mary is very distraught. She's, she's been weeping, and, and when, she, when Martha comes to bring her to Jesus, that all the Jews follow, assuming that she's just going to the tomb to weep now. And when she comes to Jesus, she says the same thing that 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 Martha said, basically, if you'd been here, he would not have died. So then Jesus, in verse 33, when he saw her weeping, the Jews who had come uh, with her also weeping, was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled and asked, where have you laid him? And I think we all know verses 30, verse 35, shortest verse in all the Bible, Jesus wept. So they bring Jesus to the tomb. Jesus knew Lazarus. Jesus loved Lazarus. He was a friend of Lazarus, and for him to see the place where Lazarus was laid, at, that Lazarus had been dead for four days, it moved him to tears. One of the ways that Jesus shows love and care and concern for these sisters is that he sympathizes with them. Not just sympathizes with them, but we also know that he, he truly did love Lazarus. And so it was sad for him. It was emotional for him to be around these sisters who just lost their brother, and he is now weeping with them. See, one of the ways in which Jesus is, is caring for these sisters is he is weeping alongside of them. You know, sometimes that's what people need. Before they need to hear the truth, they need someone who's willing to weep with them. The Bible tells us to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. How often do we weep with those who are weeping? Do we ever? See, Jesus here, he knows perhaps that Mary is not ready to hear the truth. The time is not right yet. And so before he shares with her the truth that he just shared with Martha, he weeps with her. He reminds her that it's normal to feel this way. 
one of the things that we say when we, when we do a funeral or when we go to a funeral. It is normal to weep. It is normal to mourn because it shows that you loved that person. See, sometimes we need to be aware that if people are hurting, before we just come out and splurt the truth to them, which is honestly what they need to hear, they need just somebody to weep with them. Someone to remind them that it's okay to be upset, that it's okay to weep, it's okay to hurt. And I think oftentimes our culture sees that as weakness, our culture sees that as weird or strange or odd, and so we don't do it. Yeah, but Jesus was not afraid to weep with those who were weeping. And he instructs us that we are to do the same. You see, when people are hurting, they need to hear the truth. Just like Job, who was hurting, right, he needed to hear the truth. And all his friends were doing were accusing him. You had to have done something wrong, Job. You, had to be, you have to be in the wrong. See, they weren't a true comfort to him because they were just trying to prove that, that what they knew was right. They were just trying to show that they themselves knew better than Job. And I think oftentimes, if we have failed to be a good comforter, it's because we've acted the same way. Well, I know that you have made terrible decisions and that's what led you here, and so I'm not gonna sympathize with you. I've already told you that what you're doing is wrong, it's dumb, you don't need to do that. I've given you advice, you've ignored it, I haven't taken it, so whatever. I think oftentimes we respond in that way. Whether we voice that or not, perhaps we think that. I know I'm guilty of that. Y'all, but to be a real, true comforter, if we are gonna help people who are hurting, which is what we are to be doing as the church, sometimes we need to realize that, that first, maybe we just need to weep with people. We need to let them know it's okay to be, to be hurt, to be sad. But eventually it has to get to the point where we tell them the truth because the truth is what they need to hear. Paul, writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, or 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, says this. He says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The aim of our charge is love. What hurting people need, if you're going to be a good comforter, you need to love people. That's what we're called to do as Christians. We're called to love one another. We're called to love those in our midst. We're called to love those outside of us. Yeah, when people come into this church, perhaps they're coming just because they moved. Perhaps they're coming just because they've heard good things. Perhaps they're coming because they're hurting. And because they've tried everything else and it hasn't helped. And perhaps they're looking for something. Y'all, Paul is reminding Timothy, he says, the aim of our charge, the aim of everything that I'm telling you to do in the churches is first and foremost to love. From a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. Church, when those things are our priority we will not be miserable comforters. We will be good comforters. We will know how to see when people are hurting. We will know how to sense when there is the need for comfort. And y'all, we will know what people need. 
whether they just need a shoulder to cry on, someone to be there to listen, or whether it's time for them to hear the truth. Y'all, Jesus is our perfect example for how we are to be a good comforter. And I'm just telling you right now, we have opportunities every single week to be a good comforter. Perhaps in your own families, perhaps at your work, perhaps right here on a Sunday morning when a visitor comes walking in, you have an opportunity to be a good comforter. We need to look to Jesus Examine his life and just see the way that he loves and cares for people. Y'all, it will help us to be good comforters and to be a good witness to Jesus to those who are hurting. Let's pray.